0: Our scripture reading this morning is from John 6, to 51, and 66 through 69. My name is Sarah Dodson, and I've been attending McLean for two years now, ever since I came up to participate in the Capital Fellows Program, and since then I continue to be involved in the Fellows Program and various other youth and young adult initiatives throughout this church. it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, the, is who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. So that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now to 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here. It is great to get together as a family to worship, to pray to think together about life in light of God's revelation to us of what it's about. So um, this morning, we're looking, as you heard, at John chapter 6. Now, second graders, wherever you've dispersed in the room who have your Bibles, we're on page 1147. And while you turn there, let me remind you that everybody in this room needs to become like you for what we're going to do to make any sense. Matthew 18.3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you become like a little child, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So let's pray that together. We're all going to pray that we could be like our second graders. So pray with me. God, our Father, we come and we do pray that you would work in us that childlike faith, that simplicity, that love, that excitement, that belief, that we would be humble and ready to hear from you this morning, that you would do great things in and through your word, and we do pray that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about seeing Jesus, and you know, right, you've experienced this, that sometimes you can see something without really seeing it, that you're looking at it, but you don't really know what you're seeing because you sort of trick yourself by already thinking you know what you're going to see. Um. Kids, have you ever had a time where your parents start talking to you and you're pretty sure you know exactly what they're going to say, so you hear them talking but you don't actually listen? Of course you have, because you're kids. And by the way, kids, have your parents done the exact same thing to you, right? Where they hear you talking and they're pretty sure they know what you're going to say, so though they hear you, they don't really listen. Of course they have, because they're parents. Now, it's frustrating, but we forgive each other, we move on. It's the way it works. It's easy to be. Hearing but not listening. Well, sight can work the same way. You can be pretty sure you know what you're going to see, and it means that you don't actually see the thing that's there. Um, This is what happened to me about 10 to 12 years ago in this regard. I was down in Georgia where I grew up, staying with my parents. My sister back then had this German shepherd that was just huge. He stood about here, he was 115 to 120 pounds. Um, She lived in a very, very small walk up in New York, so she named him Bartleby, which if you've read Melville, you know why that's funny. But Bartleby, I'm an early riser. My sister is a stay-up-late, sleep-late. So I walked down one morning. It was a cold morning for Georgia. It was in the upper 20s. I decided to go out and get the paper off my parents' driveway He nudges the door open, and I'm like, oh, you want to go out, don't you? And he goes straight to the door. So we go out. I wander across the driveway to pick up the paper. I pull it out of the bag. I'm sort of looking at it. He runs up into the ivy to do his business that dogs do. And no surprise, because I knew he loved to sort of bite on sticks and wrestle with sticks and fetch and everything. So he comes over with a stick, and I absentmindedly put my hand down. And he puts into my hand a great, big, long, frozen poop sickle. Ah, how did I end up holding a rapidly melting piece of doggy poo? Because I was pretty sure I knew what I saw. I didn't bother to really look at what was actually there. And the point is, if you look at verse 36, that's what's happening with Jesus in this passage. He says, lots of you have seen me, but you don't really believe. Why? Because they saw what they thought... Jesus was, or better, they saw who they thought Jesus was, not who he really was. Um, It's very important to understand this passage to notice that it follows almost right on the heels of the feeding of the 5,000, one of Jesus' most famous and important miracles in his ministry, the one that shows up in all four of the gospel accounts. And so in verse 24, all the people there having seen Jesus take five loaves of bread and two little fish. By the way, if you weren't here in August when David Stevenson preached this passage, he absolutely preached the covers off his Bible. So if you were gone on vacation, go home, eat lunch, and then go to the church website and pull up that sermon because it was amazing. And all the people who actually lived through it thought, tummy's full, this was amazing. This was great. We know who this guy is. He, is mira- he makes miracles work. He feeds us. We're hungry for more. Verse 24, they go looking for him because they'd like a round two. And when they find him, Jesus surprises them by saying, you guys came after me looking for the entirely wrong thing. You're here because you just want another full tummy. But that's not what I'm actually here for. And he introduces sort of the controlling metaphor of the whole passage, this idea of bread. Bread. There are two types of bread. You might say earthly, physical bread and heavenly bread. And he says, you came looking for the one, but the real reason I'm here is the other. I'm the bread of life, the bread of eternal life. Let me me say something. If you're here as a non-believer this morning, first thing to say, we are really glad you're here in our family. Welcome. We're glad you're our guest. And then let me ask you this question. Who do you come in thinking you're going to see when you see Jesus? Do you come in thinking he's a legend? Well, to be honest, even any, pretty much any reputable historian says, no, that's not true. There was a man named Jesus. So then the question is, who is he? Do you think, oh, he was just some miracle worker? Or do you think he was some fool rabbi who got himself killed by the Romans? Or do you think he was delusional? Whatever it is you come in thinking, this is who Jesus is. This is what I'm going to see. Let me ask you to consider whether you're not seeing right. Because Jesus says he is the bread of eternal life. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, let me speak directly to you and to me. We know the words we're supposed to say. We know the way that we're supposed to talk about this thing. So we say all the right things. But in the end, we have the exact same problem the non-Christian has that we come in pretty sure we know who Jesus is and what he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do. So when it comes right down to it, we miss him too. We also need to see that Jesus is the bread of eternal life. And kids, um, if you grew up in the church, there's a really weird trick that happens. You have gone through Sunday school, you've been around here a long time, and you know in Sunday school the right answer is always, Jesus And so it's really easy to start to miss the power of what we're talking about. That Jesus is the bread of eternal life. So all of us have the exact same need. We need to understand what does this mean? We need to understand that Jesus is a whole lot more than we thought he was. A whole lot more than we thought he was. So we'll do three questions this morning to handle that. One, what? What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? Two, why? Why does it matter that he's the bread of life? And three, how? How does that actually impact us? How do we, you know, eat of this bread of life? So what, why, how? Ready? First, what? What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? What would that mean? Well, there hasn't been any human culture ever that's advanced far that hasn't figured out some way to make bread. You know, in fact, in many languages, the word for bread and the word for food are the exact same word. And, you know, food is life. You have to have it. So you can forgive these folks in verse 24 when they go trotting off after Jesus and say, yeah, we'd like our daily bread. We'd like another round of this thing, please. This is wonderful. But when they get there, Jesus says, don't you realize there's something more going on? The point of that miracle, feeding 5,000 people, was not just to make everybody go, wow, he's cool. The point of that miracle was to testify to who he is. And in fact, you see this throughout the Gospels. The miracles are there not just for show, not just to impress people. The miracles are always there as testimony to say, this is who he really is. Jesus says, I'm more than what you were after. You're just after another full belly, another full meal. I offer you something bigger than that. I offer you the bread of heaven. Now, they're trying to process this. And remember, we all tend to look through the lens we came in with. Well, their lens, these are first century Jews. Their lens is the Old Testament. So they go, Oh, verse 30, we got you. We see what you're saying. Heavenly bread. They remember that one of the foundational events of their national and religious history was what we call the Exodus, when God brought his people as a nation out from Egypt, out of slavery. He brought them out into the desert, where suddenly now you have a whole nation of people trying to live in this nomadic, semi nomadic, desert wandering lifestyle. How are we going to eat? And so the miracle of what they called the manna was they walk out the first morning and there's this bread-like stuff on the ground. And if you want a trivia fact, in Hebrew, manna means what is it? They walk out and they're like, what is it? Somebody says, well, why don't you taste it? And then they eat. And then the next day they're like, oh, look, more, what is it? And for 40 years, God sent them bread. By miracle, day in, day out. So they say, we see what you're saying, because that became called the bread of heaven, bread from heaven. Say, Jesus, you're saying you're going to do for us what Moses did. And Jesus says, no, that's not why I'm here. Jesus says, don't you remember that all of the Old Testament pictures, all the things that happened, the miracle that you ate bread day by day, they always point forward to something greater. Jesus is not coming to say, I'm another Moses. In fact, he says, you guys don't even understand Moses very well. Because it's not like Moses happened to be the dude who knew the code to the cosmic vending machine and it would spin around and drop out some manna every morning. He says, that's not how it worked. You ate every day by a miracle because God was showing you daily bread to point you forward to someone who would be more. Who would give you daily bread of eternal life. Jesus says, that's who I am. I'm not another Moses. I'm greater than Moses. Now, it's really important for us to understand what this claim is. Because when we say the words eternal life, if you think through it for a second, I get kind of meh. And here's what I mean. I'm not sure I want this body, which is always breaking down and always hurting and never working quite right and getting sick forever. Meh. I mean, I'm not sure I want these relationships we're always manipulating each other and, you know, leaving gashes on each other and hurting each other and forever. Meh, right? I'm not sure I want, you know, this society that has wonderful things, but also just huge amounts of injustice and pain and trouble and forever. I mean, when you hear, like, eternal life, you think Cortez and Conquistadores looking for the fountain of youth in Florida somewhere. Jesus is offering us something so much bigger than that. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you this body and this life, which has pain and trouble and difficulty forever. He says, I'm going to give you a new body that can never, ever die and never, ever hurt. I'm giving you a new world, a new heavens a new earth, where there is no longer injustice, where there is fullness and freedom and joy. When I start hearing that, I can get on board with that idea. And Jesus says, you want to know how that comes? He says, here's how it comes. I'm the bread from heaven that gives eternal life. Listen to verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. 47. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Jesus says, yeah, you're talking like I'm manna. Don't you realize everybody who ate manna ended up still dying? He says, I'm offering you not just another day in the life of this body. I'm offering you a day in the life of a new body, a resurrected body that can never suffer and die. That's the bread of heaven. Well, if that's it, second question, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Many times we look at Jesus like he is like a a religious cosmic band-aid to slap on a problem. Or like he's a, you know, Monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card with God stamped on it. And we come in with some problem that we want Jesus to fix, and then we just fixate on that problem. Um, I was an intern at the church more years ago than I'd like to admit, and one of my responsibilities was college ministry. So about three or four years, I ran a college Bible study on Wednesday nights. One of my friends said, hey, you can use my basement for that Bible study. I won't be home from work, but you're welcome to use my house. And one problem, though, my basement doesn't have heat. That's fine in the summer. That's fine in the fall. In the winter, he would leave us a stack of wood. And in case he had a fireplace down there, we'd build a big fire and have Bible study around it. And it was great. Well, I'm sitting out at the car park by his house. And he kind of went car park, kitchen, and then down the stairs to get to his basement. And I asked one of the college students to go in and light the fire. This guy rolls on in to light the fire, but he doesn't happen to know of the concept called a damper in a chimney. Do you know what a damper is in a chimney? It's the thing you close to keep the cold air from coming down all winter. And if you don't open it before you start the fire, the smoke can't go up. So I'm sitting out in the car park, and I suddenly look over, and my friend's kitchen is rapidly filling with big, dark smoke. I go running in, running down the stairs, and fall over my college student who's sitting on the, on the landing of the stairs trying to take the battery out of the smoke detector. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, this thing's distracting me by beeping, and I can't even think. I'm like, Don't take the battery out of the stinking smoke detector. Put out the fire in the basement. Right? But you realize this is exactly how we approach Jesus, We have some beeping smoke detector in our life. We have something that's an after effect of the fire we've set off. And instead of trying to put out the fire itself, we're like, Jesus, would you take the battery out of the smoke detector for me and stop this thing? And look, Jesus might. But he says, I came for something much bigger than taking the battery out of your smoke detector. However that works, whether it works in troubles in your job, troubles in your school, troubles in relationships, He goes, I'm here to put out the roaring fire of sin in your basement that's causing all the rest of this. The reason it's so important to say that is so many people that you meet, particularly if somebody grew up in the church, walks away from his or her faith, and then someday they come back and you meet them here, often they're here because they lit a fire somewhere and part of their life is just starting to blow up and the smoke detector is beeping away. And look, we really pray that God will take away whatever the effect of sin is in our lives and in your life. And we really pray and we will walk along beside you in troubles in your marriage or in troubles in your job or in troubles with your kid. We will do the very best we can to walk beside you and all that. But Jesus says, I'm here for something bigger than that. Simple fact is he might fix those things, but it's also true in this life he might not. He hadn't promised he's going to fix those. It's not faith to believe something Jesus never promised us. And and to be kind, but but direct, Jesus never promised you that you're going to get married. Never promised you you'll find a spouse. You know, he never promised you you'll find another job or get into that college or even any college and, Now, statistically, you probably will, but it's not faith to insist on something that Jesus never promises. He promised us that he's going to put out the raging fire of sin in our lives. But if we start holding him to other things, then people walk away in disappointment because they say, yeah, I thought he was going to fix my job, and my job still stinks. I'm out of here. Why is it so important that we understand this? Because otherwise, we're misunderstanding what he came to do. He came to take away the sin of the world. Which leads real quick to the third question. You know, well, if that's what the bread of life is, how do, I, how do I get it? And, you know, even at the limited level these guys are catching on in verse 33 and 34, they say, well, you know, we like what you're selling, Jesus. How do we buy? And he'd already told them back in verse 28 and 29. He said, this is the work of God to believe in him. That God the Father has sent. This is the work of God to believe in him who takes away the sins of the world. What's, what do you do to get it? How do you get it? You believe. But believe what? Right? Remember, people tend to see what they think they're going to see. And so verse 42 and 43, these folks say, wait a minute. We know you. We knew your daddy. We knew his daddy. You, you, made, the car, you made the kitchen table in our kitchen You know, Jesus, you're a pretty good carpenter, but you're getting a little flaky on me now. I don't know where you're going with this thing. And when they really start to realize what he's saying, they start being like, push back. Jesus, we're going to go find the nice men in white coats with the jacket that ties the sleeves in the back, and we're going to go have a little discussion, okay? Because you're getting really weird on me here. They push. They say, I'm not so sure about this. What do we believe? Well, Jesus actually says, he says, I am not just the dude who happened to grow up in Nazareth. I am God himself incarnate. We believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God made incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary. That's who we believe he is, not just our code to get a cosmic meal and get a Big Mac and a Whopper because we'd like some food, not just our daily miracle. We believe he is God incarnate. But it goes further. Look at verse 51. He says, I am the bread of life who gives my flesh. Now, that's a weird answer. I teach my kids not to use the word weird, but it's the best word here. In fact, if you look at the passage part we skipped just because of the time, everybody else is a little confused by this. They say, how can this guy give us his flesh to eat? Yuck. That's gross, Jesus. That's just all creepy and all. I'm not not in on this. But a couple years later, you get the sense of what it is because he would hang on a cross, crucified, giving his flesh to be the bread of eternal life for his people, paying for the sins of the world. What do we believe? We believe is God incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, crucified, died for the sins of the world, Descending into hell, feeling all the wrath of God for sin, so that that's what it would take to put out the fire of sin in our world and in our lives. That's who we believe He is. But then, you know what? This isn't the last time somebody's going to misunderstand who Jesus is because they think they know what they're seeing. Look at the end of this book, the book of John, chapter 20. By chapter 20, Jesus has been killed, He's been crucified, He's died for sin. It's almost the start of the Jewish Sabbath. So they've stuffed his body real quick in a grave. They've rolled a stone across. They've sealed that tomb, and they've posted a bunch of guards outside at Roman soldiers to make sure nobody messes with it. On the third day after that Sunday morning, a lady named Mary, who had followed him, goes to the tomb to try to do a more proper burial and preparation of his body. She gets there, and the stones roll away. Not even going in, she runs and tells his disciples. They come and run and look, and they go away confused. And I'll pick up in, I guess, verse 10. And then disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. <clears throat> they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus, because you know what? She wasn't expecting to see a resurrected Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, because that's who you'd expect there. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. We believe that he is God incarnate, born of the womb of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, was crucified, buried, descended into hell to pay for the sins of the world, And we believe that he rose again from the dead, ascending into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God the Father and rules. In other words, we believe this bread of life is everything. Because he died to pay for our sins and he rose to prove his victory over death forever. That's what we believe. And that's how we get the bread of life. What's the work of God? To believe in the one he sent. So let me ask you the questions this morning. One what did you come in here thinking you're going to see out of Jesus? If you thought he was a miracle worker, he is, but he's more than that. If you thought he's a great teacher, he is, but he's more than that. If you thought he was somebody who got himself killed by the Romans, well, he did, but he's more than that. He's God who died for your and my sins and rose from the dead. Second question, what problem did you think he was going to fix? Was he going to fix your job? Was he going to fix your marriage? Was he going to fix your relationship with your parents? Was he going to fix the test you had? Was he going to fix it? Well, gosh, we pray he will, and he might. But he's promised you he came to fix something so, so much bigger. In other words, Jesus is going to do amazing stuff in our lives, but it just might not be the stuff we thought. Last thing, look at verse 66 to 69, the last part we read. At this point, when people realize that's who Jesus is, they start to peace out. They're like, I'm not, I don't need that. I need a daily bread. People leaving. Leaving, He finally looks at the disciples and he says, y'all leaving too? What does Peter say in response? Peter listens to that, looks at Jesus, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So let's pray. God, Father, help us to believe and know this. Help us to trust in it and trust in you. Thank you that you forgive our sins by the blood of Jesus and that we have utter confidence in that by his resurrection from the dead. We worship you. We are grateful. And we look forward to you turning everything in our lives over because of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, and in light of all that, let's confess together what it is that we believe, using the words in our Apostles' Creed, which Christians have used for centuries and millennia together. So together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins